Well, good morning and welcome to Catalyst Online. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And we have some very, very exciting news that next Sunday, June 14th, we will actually be opening um, uh, for, for our Sunday morning services. And so if you are in the Nicholsville, Lexington, Central Kentucky area, we want to invite you to come to our grand opening, June 14th at 10.30 a.m. If you are uh, not in this area, don't worry, we're going to be live streaming, so uh, you won't miss anything. Please continue to log on with us on Sunday morning at 10.30 and, uh, and experience uh, a Catalyst Christian Church with us. I, I thank you for joining us this morning. We are continuing in our series called Big Questions. It is the nine greatest questions, big questions, about the Christian faith. And last week we talked about, was there any proof for the resurrection? And today we're talking about part number two. How can a loving God allow all the evil and suffering in the world? It's a huge question. And the main thing today is life is hard, but God is good. Um, this is a very difficult subject for me to preach on, uh, one that I admit not knowing all the answers to. I don't have all the answers. Uh, I, I would probably say that uh, uh, the only time we'll fully understand the answer to this question is when we see God face to face in heaven. Until then, we're going to have to make our best attempt to understand this very difficult uh, problem, very difficult situation. So what follows is my best attempt to answer this question. Um, it's not perfect, and uh, I'm going to do my best with what God has given us in his word. Now, this question has been asked by humans probably since the very beginning of time. Um, uh, we have a sense of justice within us. We, we, we believe innately that good people should have good things happen to them, and bad people should have bad things happen to them. And when that doesn't happen, we, we have a problem with it. When we see uh, criminals uh, living high on the hog and honest people living in poverty, you know, when we see the guilty people set free and the innocent people uh, put in jail, when we see the conniving cheat at the office get the promotion while the diligent worker gets passed over, uh, when, when your child dies and you see a, a, an abusive and neglective parent have 10 kids, um, uh, when a drought kills thousands of people uh, uh, while a middle-class America lets five gallons of water run down the, the, the drain because you can't get in a cold shower, you know, you got to wait for it to heat up. Uh, when, when a man of, in, in police custody is killed uh, in Minneapolis in your store in Atlanta that you worked all your life, put your blood and sweat and tears into, is destroyed by a mob, we ask the resounding question, where is God? Well, the philosopher Epicurus said the following, either God wants to abolish evil and cannot, or he can, but he does not want to, or cannot and does not want to. If he wants to but cannot, he is impotent. If he can and does not want to, he is wicked. But if God both can and wants to abolish evil, then how come uh, there's all the evil in the world? That's from Epicurus. Well, well, the first thing we have to do is we have to understand there are different types of suffering. Lumping all suffering and evil into one category is not only dangerous, but it's intellectually dishonest. There are actually three types of evil and suffering that we will, in, that we will encounter. The first one is uh, 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 the suffering that we bring on ourselves by our own actions. The second one is suffering brought us by people, by people's actions towards us. And the third is suffering that has no reason or cause. And we're going to deal with each one of those. The first one is suffering we bring on ourselves by our own actions. Proverbs 19.3 says this, a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. 
I would say that in my life, and probably in yours, if you were honest, you would say that most evil, suffering, hard times you've experienced have been because of your own actions. I know it's true in my life. Um, I, 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 my own rebellion, my own stupidity. My, my senior in high school, I got suspended from school for three days. Um, I, I, I did what was called violating the camp, closed campus policy. It was a really, really fancy way of saying I went out to McDonald's for lunch. And I, I knew the rule. I knew the punishment that if you left campus during school, I knew it. But me and my own stupidity and my own rebellion, I went. And, and not only was I stupid for breaking the, the rule, I was stupid for breaking, uh, uh, for going to the very restaurant the principal was at. So I walk in there, and the principal's sitting right there, and being the great genius criminal masterminds that we were, we had our letter jackets with our names on them. Uh, and, and so, I, like I said, I knew the rule, and I got suspended for three days. I could have raged against God, but that was my fault. I, I would imagine if you were to look in the mirror and be honest with yourself, you would see your own worst enemy staring right back at you. Uh, how many of us have experienced heartbreak recently? Uh, a divorce maybe, a, a bad breakup. How many of us experienced that because, although God's word tells us in Proverbs 31 and all throughout scripture, the kind of people we're supposed to date and marry, we completely disregarded it. Uh, we knew that they were dishonest. We knew they had no character. We knew that they'd rob their grandmother blind if they had the chance, and yet we still went out with them. We still married them, and now we're left with the pieces. Um, you know, how many of us have experienced financial trouble because we're lazy or we're dishonest and we keep losing job after job? Uh, or maybe we can keep a job, but once the paycheck comes in, it's all gone because we have no self-control, no self-discipline, even though we know what God's word says about that. And, and, and uh, uh, the car, now the car's broken down and, and, and you're having all kind of hardship is because we didn't do what God told us to do with our finances. You know, look at this proverb, the person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. How, how many of us have health problems? I don't mean to get really personal here, but problems we created for ourselves by not taking care of this amazing thing that God has given us called our bodies. Uh, we're incredibly unhealthy people here in America. That's no front page news. We, we are. Healthcare is a political football punted around every election year, but I've never heard one single candidate say, America, there is no way to design a healthcare system for people that refuse to be healthy. I've never heard that. A lot of suffering, probably the most difficult things we face in life are brought on by our own explicit rebellion against the word of God. And we can't rebel against God's word, do things that he specifically tells us not to do or, or not do the things he specifically tells us to do and when we experience the consequences, rage against God and blame him for the suffering that we're experiencing. The Bible says that fools do that. What the wise people do is they realize, like, like, like many of us have done, is they wake up one day and say, you know, I, I'm, I've had a lot, I would have a lot less suffering in my life if I would simply just do what God tells me to do. I guess we all get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh, you know, you get tired of dating the wrong kind of person, getting your heart broken. You get tired of being broken, being in debt. You get tired of uh, being out of shape and your health suffering. You get tired of bad friends. You just, you just get tired of it all. And you decide to repent and start doing things God's way. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I can't think of one command in Scripture, one command that if followed would ruin me. I can't find it. I can't also think of one command of God that if neglected would prosper me. 
Now, now that, that's, that is one kind of suffering that we deal with, the stuff we bring on ourselves. And I think we, if we were intellectually honest, we would admit that that is not something we can pin on God. That's on us. But the second type of suffering, uh, the next two types are things that don't have anything to do with us. The second type of suffering is this, the suffering brought on by the actions of other people. Now, this is a big deal. Because all of us have been uh, the victims of actions of others towards us. All of us have. Um, I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter of the Bible, verse 6. And it says this, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Uh, we, we see this on full display right now, the actions of others towards us. Our nation is suffering because of the actions of other people. Uh, George Floyd was killed while in police, uh, police custody. That evil, that suffering, was caused by actions of others. It wasn't his sin. Um, countless businesses have been looted and destroyed in the past week. Those weren't those shop uh, owners or the employees' fault. They didn't do anything to deserve that. It was the actions of other people towards them. Uh, the employees no longer have jobs. The owners put their sweat and, and, and work into those, and the customers in the neighborhood depend on those stores. They're all suffering now because of the actions of other people following out Genesis chapter 3. This is the second type of suffering we experience. All that, the Bible says, is a result of the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. The doctrine of original sin says this, is that when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, that, that they were marred, that, that, that God's creation was, was uh, disrupted, and, and that their, their hearts were corrupted with sin, and the, them being the originals, they passed that corruption and that rebellion down to the rest of of humanity. That's what the doctrine of original sin says. Uh, the best way I can describe this is um, uh, one day our printer here at, at the church went crazy. We have these forms that I fill, that I, I fill out to give to our account. I, I, I do all the financial accounting and I send this sheet called the giving report to, uh, to, to our accountant. Well, our printer went crazy one time and, and when we were making copies of it, there, was a, there were two lines down the middle lines of the copy. And now every time we make a copy, there are two lines down the middle. See, when the original got marred, all the copies were marred as well. See, see Adam and Eve were the original, and all of, us were, all of us are descendants of theirs, and so because they were marred, so are we. And so what the doctrine of, religion, of original sin explains is why there is evil and suffering in every single culture, in every tribe, every nation, every language. It's all there. It's always there. It's, uh, um, and, and what the Bible tells us is that we aren't good people who occasionally do bad things. The Bible doesn't even say we are bad people who occasionally do good things. The Bible tells us we are dead people, dead in our sins, completely incapable of saving ourselves or doing anything good except for the, the, the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what the Bible says. We're in desperate need of a savior. And so in, in, in light of this, we should not be surprised when we see looting, when we see violence, when we see racism, when we see theft, when we see all this stuff. That is the natural state of humanity according to the Bible because of Genesis 3. And, uh, and, and so um, my first real experience with Genesis chapter 3, I was a victim of a crime. My, senior, my junior year in high school, um, I, I woke up, got ready for school, walked out to go get in my vehicle. The window was broken. 
and uh, uh, th- things have been stolen out of it, including my brother's uh, box speakers that, my bro- that he had installed, expensive stuff. Fortunately, they left my Van Halen and Striper tapes. Um, that, I was glad of that. That's about all they left. And that tells you about the kind of music I listened to in high school when even a thief wouldn't take it. All right? But many of us have suffered at the hands of others. Some of us have suffered very badly at the hand of others. Decisions they make that cause pain and suffering in our lives. Two years ago, my daughter was in a terrible car accident um, uh, when a driver who was high on both heroin and alcohol blew through an intersection, a red light at at 55 miles per hour, and T-boned her. Almost killed her. Uh, She survived, but many in other situations don't, don't survive that. And people ask in situations like that, where is God? Why didn't he stop the drunk driver? Why didn't he stop the guy from breaking into my car? Why didn't God stop these people? Where was he? And my answer to this is simple. He was the same place he was when you did the same things. In the same place he was when you lied the other day. The same place he was when you cheated the other day. The same place when you destroyed your family with the hateful words that you said to them. The, the same place when you watched when you shouldn't have watched. The same place he was when you rebelled against his word. Okay, that's where he was, the same place. See, God created us with free will. He took a chance on you and me. Free will. We aren't robots. We aren't remote controls. In creating us with free will, God took this huge risk that we would use it in the wrong way. And all of us do. That we would use our free will to not just sin against him, but to sin against others. Guys, that's what the Bible tells us. God didn't create evil, but he created the potential for evil by giving us free will, not making us robots. And why did he do that? Well, it's plain and simple. He did that because he wanted our love for him to be real. See, if you can't say no, your yes is meaningless. God didn't want robots with no choice. He wanted us to see the the variety of options to do good, to do evil, to run towards him, to walk away from him, and with all the choices to choose him. That's what he wanted because he knew that that was the only way that a relationship between God and his people would be real. Wouldn't be an illusion. It would be real. See, next month, my wife and I, or this month, my wife and I, um, Uh, are celebrating our 24th wedding anniversary. Been married 24 years by the grace of God. God has been good. I will tell you this though, the only thing that makes our marriage real is the fact that my wife is free to leave anytime she wants. She's not a hostage. She's not a prisoner and and, and neither am I. I am free to leave. Um, and, And the fact that each day we choose each other. Each day we choose to stay married. Each day, even though we could walk away, we don't. We choose each other. That's what makes our marriage real. The same is true of the Christian faith and God. The only thing that makes your relationship with God real is the fact that you can walk away from him. The the, the only thing that makes your obedience to God real is the fact that you are free to commit heinous crimes and sins against people. That's the only reason, only way it's real. We choose to stay. That's what makes our relationship real. So that is, that is the explanation, the biblical explanation for the second type of suffering, the suffering we experience at the hands of others. The third uh, suffering is with no apparent cause, though, no apparent reason. It, it has no reason or cause. 
And Jesus addressed this in Luke chapter 13, 1 through 5. Now there were some, pre some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too all will perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too all will perish. These people approach Jesus and they tell him about Pontius Pilate. The, the, the evil ruler had killed people and mixed their blood with the sacrifices in the temple. This, that, that's psychopathic. That, 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 is, that, that is horrific. That's a desecration not only of life but of the Jewish sacrificial system. It was awful. And they wanted to know what these people had done to deserve it. That's why they're asking Jesus. They're like, what did people do to deserve this awful thing? See, like us, they're looking for a reason. And Jesus says, uh, Jesus says, these, these people haven't done anything. And these people say, well, these people have to have done something. Things like, kind of things like this don't happen to people for no reason. And Jesus says, no. He says, listen, not all bad things in life are a direct result of your sin or someone else's. He says, things will happen to people that make no sense. The tower fell on those 18 people. Do you think that they were more sinful than the people that it didn't fall on? He goes, no. He said, things like this happen, but he, then he says, but unless you repent, you too will perish. See, the, the crowd is thinking of earthly things, but Jesus is, is, brings them around to a different uh, perspective, and that is their relationship with God. They're standing before God. Um, uh, he, he doesn't say it once, he says it twice, so he really wants the crowd to get it. The crowd is, uh, Jesus is saying that in this world, these things will happen. It's a result of a fallen world. These things will happen. They have no reason. They have no cause. And, and there's no, you can knock yourself out trying to figure out what you did or what someone else did to deserve it. And you'll always come up empty because there are no answers for this kind of suffering. And Jesus simply says, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Jesus is saying, listen, life is this way. And, and to use a marketing slogan, life comes at you fast. And a lot of times, these things, they make no sense. They don't. And we'll never understand it this side of heaven because our human minds won't understand it. But the, Jesus says, listen, you need to repent or you too will perish. He says, I want you to think about trusting God through all of this. Well, why do these things happen? Well, why do these things that have no, no reason happen? Well, plain and simple. Number two, God is not the rule of this world. Luke chapter 4, verse 5 through 7, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I'll give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now, I need to step lightly here because I don't want you to hear this wrong. When I say God is not the ruler of this world, I do not mean that there is a force or power or being that is greater than God. Don't hear that because I didn't say that. Nor am I even saying there's a force or power or being equal to God. There isn't. Okay, Satan is not God's equal. He is a created being along, along with other angels. He is not God. He's not equal to God in, in power or wisdom or strength or anything like that. But in Scripture, Satan tells Jesus that all the kingdoms have been given to him. And you say, well, well, of course he says that. He's a liar. And he is. But he's telling the truth here. Because Jesus refers to, to Satan as a prince of this world three times in John 12, 31, John 14, 30, and John 16, 11. Jesus himself refers to Satan as a ruler of this world. What this means is that God has temporarily stepped back 
He's temporarily stepped back from his rule of the, of the world, and he's given Satan a limited amount of time and power in this world. We see this in the book of Job. Um, uh, God allows Satan to do what he wants, but he puts limits on him, what he can do. This is how so many awful things can come to pass because Satan, right now, Satan has free reign in this world, according to Jesus. And somebody says, you're wrong. God's in control of this world. Well, to, to, to say that, you actually have to disagree with Jesus. But let me ask you, if, if, do you really think God is in control of this world? Have you, have you looked around? Have you seen the news? Is, is, do you really think this is what it looks like with God in control? Not only the riots and the, and the racism and, the, and the, the, the violence and everything, but his church persecuted, um, the, the, the amount of corruption and all levels of life. Do you really think this is what God looks like, uh, God in control looks like? No, it's not. However, there's good news. Satan's rule is only temporary, and he won't have this power forever. See, number three, Jesus has promised to return and take back his creation. This is how the Bible ends. This is how it all ends. Check this out. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and weighs, wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on, his, on, on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible assures us that Jesus is returning to take back his creation from Satan. It is, he's going to put it right. Now, he will return. The church used to talk about this all the time. The church used to put forth this as a solution to problems. They used to regularly fast and pray for the return of Jesus. That has almost completely disappeared from the church these days. Instead, Christians and the church have looked for other solutions, other solutions, maybe in the realm of politics or sociology to solve these problems. Um, and somehow if we pass the right laws or if we make the right policies or if we elect the right rulers all of a sudden everything will be fine. Well, evil, sin, and suffering, these are spiritual problems. There are no political solutions to spiritual problems. If there were, we'd have found them by now. How long have we been tackling the issue of racism in this country? How long? You'd think that if there's a political solution to it, we'd have found it by now. If we could have passed the right laws, we'd have found it by now. Now, now don't, don't get me wrong. We have made progress. We have passed laws that make things fair, and, and things are much better than they used to be, but it's still here. Still here. How long have we been tackling the, the problem of poverty? President Lyndon Johnson instituted a war on poverty with his great society in, in 1964. We've thrown trillions of dollars at poverty, and the poverty level has stayed the same because these are spiritual problems that don't have political solutions, and yet Christians look to politics and look to policies and look to these things to solve these problems when they can only be solved in the spiritual realm. Spiritual problems require spiritual solutions, and the spiritual solution is Jesus Christ. And someone says, well, that sounds great sometime in the future when Christ will return, but what about now? Well, I'm glad you asked because Romans 8, 28 says this. In the meantime, we know that all things, everybody say all things, 
All things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And when we say all things, we mean hard times and suffering too. They are working to your good. We take that promise and we hold on to it in faith. And here's the thing that I have noticed. Who is really asking this question? How can a loving God allow all the evil and suffering in this world? In my personal experience, the people you'd think would be asking this question aren't. Uh, There's some, but not many. See, I've heard atheists rail against God because he lets innocent babies die. I've heard that. And, and And I ask them, have you ever lost a child? They're like, no. And, and I have, but I'm not asking that question. They're not even asking me. They're just using that hypothetical situation in their lives to rail against God. Many people who point back to poverty and starvation and privation as proof that God doesn't exist, interestingly enough, make those proclamations from ivory towers of academia or comfortable middle-class homes here in America. My work for the gospel has taken me overseas to many places that where poverty's rampant. Right now, our friends in India are watching. If you're watching in India, hey, I love you. You all are awesome. You're some of my favorite people in the world. And I can't wait to come back and see you. Uh, we have an orphanage. Many of the children there have experienced extreme loss, great loss. They've lost their parents. They have nothing compared to the average American child. Lots of poverty. But they're not asking this question. Quite the opposite. What I found in my travels over to places that, that Americans would consider poverty, I find tons more joy. I find vibrant, rampant faith in God where they trust God for everything and, and we see miracles happen and all kinds of things and the, the smiles and the joy on the people would make it put any American city to shame. They're not asking those questions. Mother Teresa spent her life in the slums of Calcutta, India. She saw the worst of human poverty and suffering, the worst in her neighborhood. People were born on the sidewalk, lived on the sidewalk, and died on the sidewalk. All kinds of disease, all kinds of privation. Certainly someone like her who saw that every single day would question how, how a loving guy could allow all this suffering to happen, right? Question his existence? No. Quite the opposite. Her work in that environment led her to the conclusion that God was the only hope this world had. She reported that seeing what she saw on a daily basis made the promise of heaven seem that much more beautiful, that much more amazing, that much more uh, just a a goal for her to, to go for. She said this, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth, will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. My good friend, minister, and missionary, Rob Esposito, who's watching this morning? Hey, Rob, how you doing? Um, in his evangelistic messages, when he was doing youth ministry with me, uh, I, I, when we were doing youth ministry together, he would always end his message with a simple statement. He, he'd say this, this life will either be the best you'll ever have it or it'll be the worst you've ever had it. And he would go on and explain. He, he would say, if you are not a believer in Christ today, if you are not a believer in Christ, this world is the best you'll ever have it. This will be the best you'll ever have it. Uh, what, what's coming in your future is so terrible 
that it will that, that, that this life with all its struggle and pain and racism and discord that this will be the best you'll ever have it from what what for from what is coming in your future and then he would say this but if you're a believer in Christ today this life is the worst you'll ever have it what is coming in your future is so good so amazing so beautiful that it that this life you see right here is the worst you'll ever have it like Mother Teresa said, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth will be seen to be no more, than, no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. And that's why we can say, we can look at this world and what's going on and the evil and the suffering and everything and say with confidence and with faith, life is hard, but God is good. One day, we will all know that to be true. If you are struggling, if you are having a tough time with suffering and, 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 and evil, whatever is going on, if you are just barely holding on, I want you to contact us. I want to hear from you. I want to pray with you. I want to share uh, my, my, my tough time with you. I want to encourage you. So make sure you contact us. If you need to become a Christian today, if, if, if the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart, you need to let us know. We would love to, to be instrumental in leading you to Christ and, and, and changing your eternal address from hell to heaven. We would love to do that this morning. So contact us, send us an email, send us a text, whatever it takes. Life is hard, but God is good. And we know in all things, all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. We're called according to his purpose. God bless you. See you next Sunday. Bye-bye.